questions are, what is the kingdom of God? Number one, what is the kingdom of God? Question two is, what is the role of the church in the kingdom of God? And how does, number three, how does Jesus' kingdom authority impact you? You can also put down there, how, how does it impact us? How does it impact us? So questions will be up on the screen for a few more minutes since we dive into our, into our, our passage this morning. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 4, and we're going to be in verses 38 through 44. We're going to finish Luke 4 this morning. We have been in Luke chapter 4 for three weeks now, and this will be our, our last week in chapter 4. It, chapter 4 has set for us a, a, a transition in the, uh, the, the gospel of Luke, and, and you can, if you were outlining Luke, you would see this, this great transition between chapters 3 and 4, or chapters, at chapter 3, you've, we kind of ended the the, the birth narratives, the Christmas story, the birth of John the Baptist, uh, also the ministry of John the Baptist, to now, as we see in chapter 4, the transition into the, the full-time ministry and work of Jesus. So immediately after he was baptized, we saw in, in chapter 3, we saw how the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness uh, to be uh, to, to fast and to pray. And after 40 days, the Holy Spirit led him to be tempted by Satan himself, fulfilling the purposes of God and the will of God in that time. Now, when Satan was there to tempt Jesus, he was attempting to derail Jesus from his, uh, his track. Right? If I say derail, I've got to say track. Right, from, from the track that he was on to, to fulfill the purposes and the mission that God the Father has had for him and for his, for his Son coming in the flesh on earth. In fact, uh, if we remember and we want to, if we turn back in our Bibles, you don't have to, I'm going to read it for you, but in chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, the angel Gabriel tells Mary the very purpose of her soon-to-be-born son. That as the Son of God, what does it say? Verse 32, chapter 1, he says, He will be great, and He will be called Son of the Most High. Right? Son of God. And He will be great. And he goes on, he says, And the Lord will give, him a, give, give to him the throne of his father David. Right? Meaning he is going to be a king. If you are sitting on a throne, then you are a king. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So here's the, the purpose of, of Christ coming into the world. Satan's trying to derail. And this is really important we remember this passage because we're going to get back to that in just a minute. We're going to explain a little bit more of that in, in just a moment. But this is the mission that was trying to be stopped, thwarted, derailed. Right? And then after recovering from his intense time in the desert, Jesus officially began his ministry. He began preaching and teaching in, in all the synagogues throughout, uh, throughout Galilee. In fact, it's kind of a, uh, the beginning of chapter 4 is kind of this, uh, or after that, I'm sorry, in the middle of chapter 4, it's kind of this summation of, 
of his preaching throughout the, the Galilean region. We saw how he went to Nazareth, right? He went to, went to Nazareth, and there he, he preached in the synagogue of his hometown, invited to preach, to speak, and to, to talk about the word. And, and he was handed the scroll of Isaiah 61, probably the passage that he picked. He read Isaiah 61. You can turn back and you see that ident, you know, indented into your, your Bible. You see an amazing messianic passage that he that he, that he preached and he read out loud and everybody waiting, marveling, how is he going to say this? What does he mean by this? He, he points to, he sits down and he says, yeah, that's me. And you're hearing, you're finding fulfillment in the hearing of this passage this morning. And he sat down and says, this is me. And they were amazed. They marveled. And Jesus exposed their unbelief at that moment, right? He exposed their unbelief and the misunderstanding of this Messiah King. Because they, they wanted this, this Messiah and this King to be this functional superhero, right? That would, that, would, that would deliver them from Roman oppression and would set them free. Right? And that would set them free from Roman oppressors. And, and, and this Messiah King would, would crush all the, um, all the traitors of Israel. Right? All those people who sold out Israel to work for Rome. Guys like Zacchaeus. Tax collectors. Guys like Matthew, tax collector. And, and also they wanted this, this king to, to come in and just rid the, the immoral outcasts of Israel such as the, the woman at the well, the woman who washed Jesus' feet. So it didn't set well with them when, when Jesus came and told them that the gospel that he came to preach is not just for Israel, but for all, including outsiders. And so what was their reaction? They wanted to kick Jesus out. They wanted to kick Jesus out, but not just kick him out. They wanted to kick him off the cliff. But Jesus evaded them. Last week he went to, we saw how he went down to Capernaum. And a different, different response in Capernaum. Right there he preached with, with authority in the synagogue. He preached with authority. They were marveling on, on, this, on this man who, who preached in, with an authority that was unlike any other. Completely different than any other teaching they've ever heard. And then he freed the man with an unclean demon showing that he had not only the authority to preach the, the powerful words by which he said, but he also had the authority and power over the spiritual forces of darkness, this unclean spirit that possessed that man. And this week, this morning, what we are going to see once again, that, that not only does Jesus preach with authority, and he cast out demons with authority, but Jesus also healed with authority. Jesus healed with authority. So let's look at Luke chapter 4. Let's start in verse 38. Everybody read with me. It'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, look at that. Look at those with me. Verse 38. And he arose and he left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. New character, right? Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and he immediately, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all of those who had any were sick, and various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands 
on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out crying, For you are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now we see more miracles take place this morning. And of course the, the ministry of, of Jesus is filled with, with, with miracles. Last week I told you that when we encounter the miracles of, of Christ in the New Testament, that, that we should look at these miracles as proving one or two things or both of them at the same time. Uh, the, the first of that being that it's a, a Christological miracle. You guys remember that big word from, from last week? It's Christological in nature, meaning that it points to his divinity, right? It's pointing to his divinity, his divine nature as the, the Son of God, right? So not just to his uh, humanity, but it's pointing to his divine nature, right? The second purpose of the miracles is that it points to this, to what is called the eschatological nature of Christ, or that's catalogical nature, meaning it's pointing to, a, to a, a fulfillment of a future reality, the coming of the kingdom of God and its, and its fulfillment. So last week as he rebuked the, the unclean demon from the man in the synagogue, we saw that as a primarily this Christological in nature, pointing to his, his deity. And this week what we see in these, these miracles as through his teaching that these miracles are not just pointing to his Christ, the Christological, his divine nature as the Son of God, but because he is the Son of God, they are pointing now to this eschatological nature, meaning the kingdom of God. You can look there at the very end there, in verse 42. Now what is his mission? It's to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, not just in Capernaum, but to other towns, other places as well. And so what we, what we must see is that, these, that this idea of, the, of uh, the, the kingdom of God is inseparately linked with the gospel. You see that? Preach the good news, gospel, with gospel of the kingdom of God. There's this inseparable link between the two and what Luke is revealing to us through the through the gospel is in the kingdom of God, is that the gospel reveals Jesus as the king of the kingdom of God. That he is the king. So remember what we said about uh, Gabriel, what Gabriel said to, to Mary about Jesus, that he would be king. That he would be king. And he, but he wouldn't just be any king. He wouldn't be like David who would fail or David who would die. King who would sit on the throne forever. It's been 600 years since a king sat on the throne of Israel. And now here comes the king. Here comes the king. Jesus, the king, is here. God's kingdom has come. The kingdom is, is now among you. When the gospel is preached, the kingdom goes forth. The kingdom is spreading 
the kingdom goes out. And that's what Jesus is saying here in proclaiming the kingdom of God through the good news of the gospel. It's not territory. The kingdom of God is not territory. It's the people. It's a people who have, been, who have come under the, the lordship and the kingship of Christ. And what we see in our passage this morning, I think three different ways we see how the kingdom of God and, it, and his kingly authority is, is expressed. And it's expressed kind of progressively. We see it progressively expressed as, as Jesus goes into the, the home of Simon's uh, mother-in-law. And he meets with those whom, whom he knows and loves and is getting to know. And then it's expressed through, through, throughout the city of Capernaum. And then we see his intent at the end to preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns, which I think implies to us and what we see about the gospel and how we are to preach the gospel and take the gospel to the nations. There's an implicit nature of that. I think this message comes at a very timely time for us. Timely time. Does that make sense? At a, at a, at a very, uh, it's very timely for us. It's, it's very timely in the sense not only, I think, our, our desires that are starting to build up inside of us that we want to see the kingdom of God go forth. We want to start sharing the gospel. We want to see the gospel go in and throughout our city. But yet we, we, we experience and we see days like yesterday and the news, and we just long for something more. We, we see the brokenness. We see, we see the hurt, and, and, and yet we, we hear this gospel message, and, and, and I know that when I was studying again this morning, preparing for this morning, this is exactly what I needed to hear. I needed, I needed to see the, the kingly authority of Jesus Christ. I needed to see that. I needed to, to experience in my own heart once again that Christ reigns on this throne. That, that despite such hatred, brothers and sisters, that is exactly what you saw on television yesterday. Was evil. Evil. Humanity acting in its, in its worst. We need to be encouraged by the gospel, the good news this morning of the kingdom of God and the, our author, the authority of, of our Savior over us this morning. So looking at verses 38 and 39, we, we see here how, how Jesus, the, the same day that he is preaching in the synagogue, right? The exact same day, right? He's preached in the synagogue that morning in, in Capernaum. Everybody was marveling at his teaching. Jesus casted out the, the unclean demon. And, and just like we do, they get done with their service and they get hungry and they go eat with one another. I, I like that. I like, I like the fellowship there. I love the plan of that. If there's, if there's something good about, about observing the Sabbath as, as, as Jewish people did, is that when they came into their Sabbath day, they were prepared. They were prepared, meaning everything was cooked, everything was made. We, they weren't hustling and bustling to have everything done that day or that morning or that afternoon, and then they missed the fellowship, they missed the gathering, but everything was ready to go. 
And here's Jesus. They come to Simon Peter's house, or Simon Peter's mother and our mother-in-law. And we see here that they, they come to him and they say, here is, here is her, here she is. She needs to be healed. She has a high fever. Now, Mark tells us, and Mark chapter 1 actually tells us that there were other disciples that came with Jesus. So at this point, Luke hasn't got to that part of the story yet, but these other disciples are with them at the house, um, the, particularly the James and John, Andrew, Peter's brother, hanging out, getting some food. But here's Simon's mother-in-law, who is, who is sick with, as, as Luke the physician tells us, with high fever, with a very high, uh, a high fever. And what he's telling us here is not, she, she, may be, she may not be dying, but she probably feels like she is. She probably feels like she is dying and suffering so greatly that it absolutely feels like she's dying. And if you've never had a high fever, you certainly feel that way. And you feel like you've been, you've been ran over by a truck. Everything that you have to do while you're having this high fever feels like you're climbing a mountain. feels like a climb. I, I'm, I'm prone to get high fevers. I, I, get, I get temperatures like 103, 104, like normal. That's normal for me when I get sick. That's why I, I hate it. Gets, but it takes the life out of me. Uh, years ago now, probably a decade ago, I got, I got sick pretty bad. I got a really, really high fever, and I was running temperatures in that 104, 103, and it was like 104 for hours, almost the whole day, and it was, it was just wrecking me. Um, it, was, it was so bad, you know, you have, to get, you have to go take a cold bath, you know, ice poured in there and everything. It was, it was that bad. It was, so, it was getting to a point of date where it was dangerous, and, and I needed to do something to get it put down. Actually, Christina forced me to do it, but I had to take a, had to take a, had to take a, a cold bath. It's painful. It's, it's, it's painful to, 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 to have this, this kind of fever. And, and then Jesus comes and he, he stands over her and with the authority of His Word. Here's His second miracle, right, that we see in the Gospel of Luke. With, by the authority of His Word, He rebukes the fever, He rebukes the sickness, and, and she is healed immediately. I mean, how do you do that? How do, you, how do you stand over someone and just rebuke a fever? Right? If, if you went to the doctor because you were experiencing this kind of thing and your doctor rebuked the fever and you paid the doctor, we would be pretty disappointed. Because we know in our modern minds and our modern medicine, that's not how you heal high fevers. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? You see? You don't. You, you, you simply don't heal a fever by this way. You don't. You, you don't unless you were the king. You don't heal fevers like this and, and unless you are the, the king. You don't heal fevers like this and you don't heal the body in this way if you were not the one who created the body. You don't if you're not the son of God. You don't if you're not the Holy One of, of God who has all authority and power. And that is why Jesus can rebuke this high fever and among all the other illnesses that we'll see today. And it leaves her 
immediately. And I love that. I love how Luke tells us this. He tells us that as soon as he spoke those words, it healed her immediately. And when she was, when she was healed, she, she got about her business of serving her guests, showing her, her hospitality of loving her guests and loving her company. Right, even if once you become healed of your high fever, you still have a recovery time because your body has been burning every ounce of energy you have in your body to keep that temperature up to burn whatever off it's trying to burn off. But immediately, she was 100% recovered. No recovery time necessary. No go to bed, see you in the morning, take an apple, whatever it is. None of that. She was 100% recovered. No rebuilding of nutrients or energy required. Jesus healed her back to 100%. And can you imagine that as they were eating and dining together and fellowshipping, that every time she walked into the room, what a beautiful picture, a glaring, beautiful picture of this glorious reality to everyone there, that the king is amongst them, that the son of God was sitting and eating a meal with them, here is the kingdom of God at work. The authority of the king at work. Now that authority and that kingdom has also been at work at us. That same, that same power, that same authority has been at work in us. That day when, when, when she was healed and enabled to serve in such a, a, a meaningful way, it was because Jesus healed her. We said, we said last week that, that the only way that we are useful for the kingdom or only way that we are saved is that if Jesus removes the blindness from our eyes and lets us see Him. And this is how we have been, this is how we have been healed. So it's a spiritual metaphor for, for our spiritual reality of what we once were in. We had this high fever of sin and sickness of death in ourselves, and Jesus healed us. So what Jesus did for her that afternoon, Jesus has done for us. That he has healed us in the only way that he could do. Completely. Imagine that. No, no recovery necessary. Right? No, no, no recovery process necessary, but only... It's Lydia, guarantee but guarantee that when Jesus heals us, he heals us 100%. And when Jesus heals us, when, when the Holy Spirit indwells in us and makes us useful for the kingdom of God, immediately we begin to realize that the kingdom of God in us is not ultimately about us, but it's about giving ourselves for others. We see that. We see that lived out here. So where does this kingdom servanthood start? Where does it start then? If it's, if it's done in us, then where, where do we serve? Where does it go? Well, it starts here. It starts here in, in, in the church for, for each other, for one another. 
I mean, think, think about how the gospel has set us free in, in such a way that we are reconciled with God, but also at reconciliation. And the gospel is, has been so powerful and so profound that now we are reconciled to one another. In fact, Jesus says that reconciliation by the power of the gospel is so great and so powerful that our relationship with one another is greater than any other earthly close relationship that we ever could have. It's that powerful. It wouldn't seem that way sometimes, does it? Because of this reconciliation... This healing that take, has taken place in, our, in ourselves that Christ has done, that now we can serve and love one another. And that's why the Bible goes on to tell us that we could bear with one another. We can love one another. We can care for one another, give to one another, give time to one another, to meet with one another, serve one another, forgive one another, encourage one another teach one another, exhort and correct one another, encourage one another, cry with one another, fellowship and eat with one another, and pray for one another. The kingdom authority of Jesus Christ is first to be at work in us. If it's not at work in us, then, then these other levels, these other progressions of, of taking it to our city and taking it to the nations are not going to happen. So, brothers and sisters, beloved, as brothers and sisters, is the kingdom of God working in you in such a way where you are serving, loving, bearing, forgiving, encouraging, rejoicing, crying, weeping, meeting, helping one another, praying for one another, eating, fellowshipping with one another, the kingdom of God starts in us. The kingdom of God starts in the church. It starts in the church. Second, we see the impact, the progression of the kingdom into the city. We see in, in, our, in, our, in our text in verses 40 and 41 that as after, the, um, after their meal together, the day went on, right, you know, as the Sabbath does and as our Sundays do. The, the day went on, the sun started, uh, started going down, the Sabbath ended, and so it became the time where now people can get up and start doing the, the work and start doing the things that they, they needed to get done. And, and they, they remembered, of course, Jesus, here's this guy that healed this demon in the synagogue, healed this unclean man who was possessed with the, with the demon, and they begin to gather up all the sick and injured and diseased and they began bringing him to Jesus. They knew where he was at. They knew where he was hanging out. They knew where he was napping, where he was hanging out and fellowshipping. And so they bring him to him. They gather at that place where Jesus is. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, imagine the, the, that house. All of a sudden, you're, you look out the window and just lined up. All the sick and diseased and injured and crippled of Statesboro or lined up outside your home? Imagine. And as, and as night came, came over the city, it says there in verse 40 that Jesus laid his hands on everyone. On everyone. And when he laid his hands on everyone, what happened? They were, they were healed. 
just like the, uh, Simon's mother-in-law, just like the, the man who had an unclean demon. So this just wasn't a, a one-time or a two-time thing, but this was an all-night thing that was taking place. You know, there were times in Jesus' ministry where he would only heal like maybe one or two people, and others he would not. There was times. But this was an all-out wholesale healing. Jesus laid hands on all of them. Jesus laid hands on all of them, including those who were possessed with demons, just like we saw before. So just as that house had this line of people that were being healed all night long, how they must have crawled there. They were carried there, carried on mats and stretchers, wearing, having uh, crutches. Amazing how they came in, Jesus healed them, they went out, and they took their crutch and just threw it to the side. Can you imagine the pile of stuff that sat outside the house? Amazing. The bandages, the patches, the mats, the shackles. There's something else here very specific that, that Luke tells us, and that is Jesus laid his hands on them. He laid his hands on them, completely unheard of, that a rabbinic teacher would lay his hands on someone who was sick or ill because they were unclean. But, but Jesus is not just any rabbinic teacher. He is the king. And he heals in ways that no one else healed. Because he had divine power and authority. A power that is greater than sickness. Greater than disease. Greater than demons. Greater than, than, than the, the physical consequences of sin. Greater than that. He had authority and power over all life and death. And yet we see Jesus with that authority and with that power show tenderness kindness and compassionate mercy by laying his hands on people. So not, not only does this point us to this future reality of the, of the coming kingdom of God when, when all sickness and death and hurt and, 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 and suffering and pain will be, will be removed, but it also tells us about the present. It points us to once again to the present reality of Jesus is a good healing surgeon who lays his hands on us and heals us. And how has he healed us? Sure, he has healed us in some physical ways. Praise God. But how has he healed us? He has healed us from the, the power of, of, of sin and death. Now, how does that now transition to us as the church? We are those healing hands. The church we are those healing hands of mercy, the mercy of Jesus to, to our city. Let me tell you, let me, let me tell you what, that, what that means. So as Jesus laid his hands on everyone and healed them that night, we are, we are his representatives. We are, we are his hands in, 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 in our city as representatives of Christ. We are his representatives of his kingly authority. We represent our king. Now what I'm not saying is that we have been given this mysterious power to lay hands on people and to heal them from their diseases. I'm not saying that. 
But what I, what I am saying is that as God's people, we have been placed here. God has brought us together, as small as we may be, as insignificant as we may think we are sometimes, to be a blessing to this city. To be a blessing to, to this city. In fact, Paul tells it this way, that he desires the church, the people, to live in, in a peaceful way. In, in, a, in a peaceful way that, that points everybody, everybody in the city to see the perfect patience of our loving God. We are a picture of, of the kindness of God. We are a picture of, of a flourishing culture to a dying culture. We are, a, we are to be a blessing to our city. As representatives of the kingdom of God to our world. I think throughout the ages, the church has, has, has seen that. I think particularly in those first centuries. The church has seen, even though amidst persecution and suffering, they were to be a blessing to their city. Be a blessing to their city. Because the blessing that we have is not in the, just the good works that we can do in serving our city and loving our city and quote-unquote doing the ministry of giving a cold glass of water. There's certainly, those, there's certainly those, those good things and when we have the opportunity to do that, we should take advantage of, of those. But the blessing that we have for our city is to preach the gospel to them. The great blessing of God is not to fulfill the physical needs of everybody. You can't do that. That's not our purpose. But to point them to the Savior, to the King, who has all power and authority that has been given to Him to heal, to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, that give them freedom from sin and death. That's the call. That's the blessing. That's, that's the, the hands of feet of, of Christ in our city. That's, that's the blessing that we have. That's what we get to carry as representatives of the king. We preach the gospel to our city. And we do that understanding the reality, as, as I think Jesus understand the reality of that night. Jesus knew that when he was healing these people, that not everybody was coming to him because they wanted him to be his, his, their redeemer. They were looking for this doctor that could rid them of whatever pain and anguish is upon them. And certainly, we, we can have sympathy on those who are suffering and hurting as Jesus did. And I think he, he was compassionate and, and, and merciful but Jesus understood there that scarcely those who come to Christ for healing scarcely are going to reach to him to be, theirs, to be their redeemer. I mean, if, you, if, if, if Chick-fil-A said, hey, we're going to offer free Chick-fil-A for a year to the first hundred people that show up tomorrow morning, and they sent out their text and they put it on their Facebook page, Within 30 minutes, you'd probably see people lining up outside there. Guarantee, right? In fact, tomorrow morning, the line will go all the way to Kmart because Chick-fil-A is giving away free food for a year. Sounds like a good deal. I mean, why not? Chick-fil-A is awesome. But you offer the bread of life 
and rarely, rarely people will consider it. So we, we understand the reality that, that this gospel that we preach, this gospel that we want to live out and we want to uh, uh, freely serve our community and bless our, our, our city with, it is going to be met with opposition, even from those who may make the right claims. Are you going to heal me, Jesus, the Son of God? But the church, we must remain steadfast. Preach the, the gospel, trust in the sovereignty of God that he is going to build his kingdom in our city and he has placed us here to be his hands and his feet. And there will be opposition, just as Jesus was facing opposition that very night. Casting out demons who did not want to be casted out. And when we do so, when we embrace the kingdom of God with, within us and we begin to bless our city, we begin to show a culture that is flourishing. There, there's not too many cultures in our country today you can point to and say, yeah, that, they're flourishing. But the church, by the power of the gospel, we flourish. We, we show such a, a, a beautiful alternative to such hatred and evil. We're representatives, citizens, a part of the kingdom of God. A small community that blares loudly, loudly a culture that is flourishing to a culture that is dying. Beloved, as we look at our world today, we must have compassionate eyes of Jesus. Absolutely. We must weep with those who are weeping. Brothers and sisters, what we saw yesterday, we should weep over. Not get angry, but weep the compassionate eyes of Jesus. We look through those lenses of Christ and, and, and that'll show us that there will only be justice, there will only be peace, and there will only be goodness, and there will only be flourishing in our city and in our world and in our country through the gospel. Through the gospel. Through submission to the king. Through submission to the king. And to our city, we are our king's representatives. Third thing, we are king, we are to be or the, the kingdom and the nations. We see that pronounced in, in what Jesus says. So Jesus goes to, this, uh, uh, to that place where he's tired. I think in his humanity, he's exhausted. He's been up all night touching people all night long, healing them. And, and he goes off the next morning to find, I think, rest. Mark actually says he goes off in the desolate place to, to pray. And I think it's where he finds his rest. He finds his rest in, in his communion with God, with his Father. And so when we see Jesus here going off, he, he's, he's finding a, this, this place, but the city's doing something else, right? The city's wanting to take Jesus and, and say, Jesus, we, we want you to be our doctor. We want you to be our man. We want you to be our God. We want you to be on, on our team so that no one in our city would ever get sick again. Right? Once again, revealing the, the functional Savior that they are wanting. But verse Excuse me, but verse 43 tells us that what Jesus says, he says, I must preach the good news of what? Well, you've heard him say, I must preach the good news. But he must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. And he was sent for that purpose. You see that? That was the purpose he has been sent. To take his throne. To take his throne and to announce that the king is here. 
that the king is here. Now, now the Gospel of Luke, is, it's filled with this idea. So we're not going to exhaustively talk about the kingdom of God. We'll, we'll get through it as we, as, we walk through, uh, as we walk through Luke. But the, but the idea of the, of the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is coming through God's Son, Jesus. And, and the kingdom of God is, is going out into those places that wherever salvation through this king exists. So the kingdom of God was present with, with Jesus, and now it's present with the, the lives of his children, his followers. And we're going to talk more about, about this later and what this, this means. And so as Jesus has this kingdom mindset that he just can't stay here in Capernaum, he must go. He must go to, to all of uh, Judea. Go to all of Jerusalem. Go all to, throughout the Israel. And I think we see the, the, the implication there of the call to the church to take the gospel to the nations. Right? So, so his kingdom mindset, to proclaim his kingdom authority throughout the throughout the, uh, Galilee and throughout Judea should be our mindset that the gospel in the, uh, the kingdom does not just terminate with us here on Sunday mornings or here in Statesboro, but it extends to all the nations and to all peoples. I've heard this argument before, and, I've heard, and I've heard, I know that you all have heard this before. And when we talk about doing missions, and we talk about doing evangelism throughout the world, and in particular when we talk about sending resources around, uh, around the world, the, the argument is made back. I mean, it's almost a guarantee this argument comes back. It says, what about the needs here? What about those around us? Shouldn't we focus more on meeting the needs uh, of those here around us before we start thinking about outside? It's a good argument. I mean, right? I mean, there's, there's true. There are needs. There, there are needs around us. There are people who, are, who, who need the gospel and need the, uh, need the blessings of the church. People with physical needs that the church can meet. Certainly, right? But let me ask you the question. Where has God sent us? First, or what we talk about in second, the second progression. He already has sent us here. So if we take 90% of our efforts and we apply them here, shouldn't that make an impact of, make, of meeting those needs? And if we only take 10% or 5% of the, of, of the rest of us and the rest of our resources and we send it or we give and go 5% of our time and our resources and we're giving it to, to, to missions for the, for the nations to take the kingdom of God around the world, doesn't that make sense? See, the problem is, is we're not doing either. I don't say we, but, but think about that. So that really, that, it's, it's a completely wrong question. The question needs to be turned back around is, I'm not doing anything here. And now I want to take that 5% or that 10% and include it to here. We're already here. You are the kingdom of God to our town, to our city, to our, to our county. We are, we are it. We cannot depend upon others to send people in. We are it. And we have been given the Spirit of God to, to do so. And yet then also a part of us should be, should be split off and devoted over to the nations for the, for the world. You see, missions is about seeing the kingdom of God spread throughout all peoples and all nations. 
because our king is worthy of the worship of all peoples. And we also believe that the elect of God is not just in Statesboro, but the elect are in all nations, in all people groups. That's why Revelation tells us that when the church is gathered on that great and glorious day, the bride of Christ for the glorious feast, that it's not just white people gathered. It's not just Latino. It's not just European. It's not just Middle Eastern or African. It's people gathered from all nations and all people groups. Our diversity our, our diversity in, in the church shows the kingdom. It, it proclaims and shouts the kingdom. So missions is about bringing the elect of God in to worship and delight in Christ and so that God will be glorified in Christ. And the world will exalt Christ. Isn't he worth it? Isn't our king worth it? Isn't he worth the worship of all peoples? So what does this mean? How does this kingdom authority apply to us? I talked about it in a few different ways already throughout our, our text, but I have just three simple ways that I want to share with you and how it can impact us. Uh, first is we are to remember our place in the kingdom. I've talked about this, uh, that, uh, that we are to remember our place in the kingdom. I've been kind of hinting at this throughout our, throughout our time. Isn't it amazing to think about that the Bible uh, not only says that Jesus is our king and that he's our savior, but that for those who are in Christ, that we have also been adopted into that family, into the king's family, and if we are adopted into his family, then what does that make us in relation to Jesus? He's our brother. What does that make us our place in the kingdom then? What does that tell us? That as sons, we have inherited a, a kingly inheritance. We've, we've gained the inheritance of Christ. Because we have been given the, the righteousness of Christ and it is uh, uh, so powerful and so good and it's a righteousness unlike any other that it makes us righteous before the Lord. So then who are we? What is our place? We're sons. We're daughters. We're reconciled. We're redeemed. We're healed. And we're ambassadors representatives of the kingdom, of our king. I was going to use some cheesy illustration about England and their monarchy, but it's not a very good one. They're kind of messed up too. I mean, we, we can see this here. That we, I mean, think about it, that we have been brought into the kingdom by the king himself. Amazing. Think about that. And we're part of something so big. We're part of something so great, so big, so much bigger that we can see. We, we, we may be small, 
But the church is playing this, this little play, this little role in this play of this greater reality of this coming kingdom. It's a kingdom that's, that's being established in us now and then will be established perfectly forever in Christ. So number one, we are to remember our place in the kingdom. That we are a part of the kingdom of God. Number two, we are to desire for God's kingdom. We are to desire for, for God's kingdom. Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, teaching us how to pray, gave us the Lord's Prayer. And he started out saying this, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. So it starts out about, about glorifying the, the Father, and when God is glorified, His kingdom is being made known. His kingdom is being made known. So, so we pray for and we desire for how we can be used to spread God's kingdom, the authority of Christ in, in our circles amongst our church. We pray and we desire on how we can spread God's kingdom in our city and in our churches and in our world. That's what that means. That's what the Lord's prayer... We pray, God, your kingdom come. That is having a, a desire for the kingdom of God to be, work, to be working itself out more and more amongst us and as it works itself through us into our city and into our world. If the Spirit of God lives in us this morning, lives in us this morning, then, then may He stir us. May He disturb us to pray and to desire and to plead to the Father that His kingdom would come. Brothers and sisters, this must be our prayer. This must be our prayer if we are the representatives, if we are the manifestation of the kingdom of God in our world today, this must be our prayer as God's people. But it goes beyond just the present. It goes beyond just the, the present reality of the kingdom of God coming now and that salvation would come through us, but it's also uh, that we would desire and pray for the kingdom to come in its consummation, that it would come in, in the end. So we always had this, this stirring, this longing for the, the final and ultimate establishment of Christ's reign. Right? The great moment, the great moment when Christ returns that, that moves us beyond earth's history, when all evil will be judged and eliminated and when all of God's people will dwell in His holy presence and the perfect righteousness of Christ and live in absolute, complete joy. We long for both. We desire for both. We pray for both. Number three, we are to live obedient in the, in the kingdom. You see this prayer? This prayer for, for wanting the kingdom of, of God to come through us and our prayer and our desire for the kingdom of God to, to come and to, to be worked through us is a prayer of commitment to do God's will, right? Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayer for the kingdom of God to come is a prayer of commitment. This is not a, a prayer that we would stay the same, is it? I mean, we, we cannot pray this prayer and, and have the same attitude of just being the same. It's a prayer of radical submission to our King. It's taking our wills and bending them to his will, not the other way around. Isn't that what we want sometimes? We want to bend his will to fit our lives, our ambitions, our desires, 
our wants, but it's to bend our will to His. It's to submit to His authority. It's praying, your kingdom come in my life. Your kingdom come in me. Use me in your kingdom. It's one thing to pray and desire for the kingdom of God to come. It's another thing to pray for his present kingdom to rule in our hearts this morning. Did y'all catch that? It's one thing to pray and desire for God's kingdom to come in a future sense. But it's another thing to pray for his present kingdom rule in our hearts now, this morning. So those are the three things. I want to, I want to close. You could probably, we could probably add more, but time, I know we need to be done. I want to close by saying this. You cannot enjoy a kingdom unless you are submitted to a king. Unless you submit your will, your future, your ambitions, your longings, your jobs, your careers, your spouses, your, your children, your independence, and your hearts. We cannot enjoy this kingdom. And my prayer for, for you, not only this morning, which has been this week, is that we would be joyfully, that we would joyfully submit to our king and that his kingdom would be present in us, that it would be, that it would be present through us and that it would go through and it would go from us to the nations and that we would be faithful to serve our king and to delight in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kingly, work in us. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the reminder that we are a part of something glorious. And Father, we do pray that your kingdom would be working in us and through us and from us. That you would be glorified. Help us to be obedient, not just to the to your, to your commandments, Lord, but obedient to your command to take the gospel, to preach the gospel, to teach the gospel, to share the gospel, to live obedient lives proclaiming the gospel. I pray now that we are an encouragement to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.